Hey everyone, it's Blake, and welcome in to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we welcome back uh, our friend Andy Perez, uh, who is the host of Dissecting Dynamite on 411's YouTube channel, and he's got a lot of other great stuff going on on the 411 YouTube channel with uh, some of the recent videos he's put together and a very exciting uh, mini documentary series he started uh, as well. And so we go into a bit of that and discuss uh, The Undertaker's uh, final farewell at Survivor Series, what we thought of it, uh, what were some of the things uh, that stood out from it, and uh, just the biggest takeaways overall and kind of looking back at The Undertaker's career, which Andy did uh, for a, a video that he put together uh, for on the YouTube channel. So uh, we talked a lot about that. But uh, the biggest part was talking about the upcoming John Moxley versus Kenny Omega match for the AEW World title, which will take place on Wednesday night's episode of AEW Dynamite. We talked a lot about the build to it, uh, the possible scenarios we could see in that match, uh, the whole winner is coming tagline, and what that could possibly mean for this particular show. Uh, So talked a lot about just what we could see in what is obviously one of the biggest matches we've we've seen uh, in AEW thus far in terms of on AEW Dynamite, uh, the biggest match, uh, most likely in terms of how they have hyped this thing up and uh, what the expectations are. Could there be a title change? Could there be an invasion of sorts? Uh, Lots of rumors, lots of speculation out there. Uh, So we talked a lot about that, as well as uh, an upcoming documentary uh, that Andy has put together uh, on Kurt Angle and kind of what went into that and really just the the storyline, the idea behind it, and lots of really great stuff there. So uh, always a fun conversation with Andy. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with 411's Andy Perez. All right, as promised, uh, our guest today is the one and only Andy Perez. Uh, introducing him as the one and only now because he is the one and only, uh, the host of Dissecting Dynamite. And uh, he's been doing a lot of great uh, stuff, a lot of great video-related stuff that we're going to talk more about uh, here on the podcast. Uh, Andy, I uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope you are ready for winter because uh, winter is coming, my friend. Oh my gosh, and I, I am more than ready, and thank you so much for the uh, for the kind introduction. But yeah, I am uh, I'm wearing my coat, I am wearing my hat, I am wearing my gloves. I am ready for winter to take over. Yes, it's going to uh, on Wednesday night, uh, AEW Dynamite, uh, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega, and we're going to get to that here in just a few minutes. But first, uh, I did kind of tease some of the video stuff Andy's been doing, and uh, one of the things uh, he did was the uh, Undertaker's uh, 30 of the best moments for the Undertaker, and uh, I had the pleasure to uh, take part and help out in that, Andy, but uh, that's been a big, big success, kind of looking back. At the career of The Undertaker, of course, he had his uh, final farewell, uh, quote, unquote, there uh, at Survivor Series. And a lot of people have been talking about that. Uh, what do you think? Uh, maybe how it was handled? I know there have been some uh, different opinions on maybe what they did. But, but what did you think of just, uh, I guess, the, I don't know if anticlimactic was the word, but I guess when you're doing a, a finer, final farewell, uh, there's not a whole lot to it, really. Yeah, I I didn't really know what to expect going into it. I know there was a lot of speculation from a from a lot of people thinking that perhaps the the fiend was gonna right. gonna come out and and interrupt the ceremony, try to try to enact one final uh, angle for the Undertaker. But that wasn't that wasn't so. Uh, we had we had a group of legends come out. Uh, thirty minutes worth of entrances, it seemed like, <laughs> and then uh, and then they disappeared as the as the Undertaker made his, like you said, quote unquote, final appearance as the Dead Man, 
And, uh, and you know, I, I wouldn't have made that 30 best moments over, over 30 years video for the undertaker. If I wasn't a, a massive fan, he's, he's without a doubt on my Mount Rushmore. And even, even after maybe the mystique has kind of worn off a little bit the past handful of years or so, whenever he's on screen, I am always captivated. So, so even with the anticlimactic, uh, vibes that were going on, at Survivor Series, I was still, uh, I was still very attentive. It was, uh, it, it got emotional for me in some places, as as it did for a lot of people, especially during that Paul Bear hologram portion. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it was also interesting because I, I I was watching with my with my girlfriend who is not a wrestling fan at all, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was interesting to see the moments of the ceremony that stood out for her rather than me just get a casual fans perspective. Like she was really into the, uh, the whole uh, electricity lightning playing his theme at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> the hologram part was cool. I, I, so yeah, the, the theatrics of it, uh, it, it really shows what, what grabs, I guess, more, more casual viewers and whatnot. What, what did you think of the whole situation? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think everything you said, I mean, it was something that the presentation, obviously you weren't going to get any better because it's WWE and we always talk about that, just their, their presentation and what they're able to do. But, you know, I think one of the things that stood out for me and, and I don't knock WWE for this because I know we're in a, you know, a certainly a unique period of time, but Man, you just think about how much different it would have been, you know, doing something like this in front of a crowd, um, even if it's half a crowd, you know, not even maybe full capacity, but even if it's, you know, a half full arena or a half full stadium, something like that, I think it would have been much different. And also, I just think the the piping in of the chants and such, like it just, I don't know, like I'm not saying again that it's their fault. I get why they did it, but it just makes it kind of, I don't know if it sort of just takes you out of it a little bit because you know there's no one there. Um, and that's one of the things that, that maybe kind of stood out to me. But overall, I mean, again, it's it's something where, you know, th- this was this was final farewell, I guess, for now. But uh, as The Undertaker has said many, many times, uh, you never say never, and especially never say never when Vince McMahon's your boss. Um, so I think there's obviously, you know, they could do something down the road. And I think you have to remember, too, they still have the Hall of Fame, and so they can obviously bring him back out in front of a crowd down the road uh, and maybe get a similar situation. Obviously, it's not going to be the exact same, but uh, there's still so much you can do with that uh, once you do the Hall of Fame thing uh, and then then do all that. So, so I think that was sort of the biggest takeaway for me was that, man, this year I just wish it was different circumstances, right? Because then we could have had a full crowd. And uh, but but I get why they did it now, given the the history and the Survivor Series and all those other things. But uh, that was the one thing I kept thinking about. Right, and and see the thing with me is I'm I guess I'm in such a pandemic mindset at this point that I wasn't really even uh, reflecting on on the past farewells and whatnot. But if you compare this up against uh, like Ric Flair's farewell before he went off to TNA and ruined it a little bit. But uh, if you yeah. if you look back at his if you look back at his farewell, just the the emotionality there, the uh, the the crowd response to uh, to the various legends coming out and paying him tribute to to the Undertaker coming out and paying him tribute. Uh, just to, if if we were to have this in in front of a crowd, uh, I I don't doubt that it would have. Uh, gone into the gone into the history books as as one of those wonderful final farewell moments but uh but yeah it's unfortunate that uh that in a year like this 
even even the Undertaker gets robbed of a of a few treats, you know. When you went back and and again, I, I thought about this because you know going back through all those moments, and of course, I, like I said, I, I did some of them. I, I did I think five for for the video, and I just thought it was so fun to go back and look at some of those things that that were like during that era. I mean, I you and I have joked about the uh, the Phantom of the Opera mask before, and uh, it was fun to kind of go back and, and watch a little bit of the stuff he did with that mask on. It's just so unique just to watch that, and then uh, to look back at, of course, the the match against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, the first one. Um, just looking back on all of that, was there anything to you? And, and obviously, there's so many different moments you can choose from, which is why you went with 30 because there really are probably even more than that at this point. Uh, but w- were there any ones that you kind of looked back and said, man, not necessarily forgot about it, but was there anything that you just kind of looked at and said, wow, uh, I just forgot maybe just how great some of this stuff really was during those years. See, what's interesting is that I actually didn't become like a, like a big wrestling fan until around 2002, 2003 or so. Yeah. So going, going back to, uh, to that biker taker era and reliving those moments, uh, just reawakening uh, early parts of my wrestling fandom was really interesting because it is such it, it it's so odd because it is such a I guess controversial era of of the Undertaker's career. Some people have extremely strong opinions, negative or positive, about uh about the American badass, about Big Evil, and that whole era. Uh, I look back at it very fondly, just just getting Taker to uh to be able to flex different muscles as a as a performer and as a character so going back to uh to look at like the brothers of destruction like their run in 2001 where we had biker taker and we were still in the final years of uh of the monster kane uh still masked uh was really really fun seeing them just tear apart parts of the (laughs) roster just looking like absolute monsters and then and then of course uh taker's classic uh 2002 feud with a with a young brock lesnar just seeing the seeds of uh of storylines planted back in 2002 that would eventually pay off in like 2015 especially looking from their 2015 hell in a cell encounter back to their 2002 encounter and just watching those matches back to back it's really interesting just to see how their characters evolved as well as how uh how their relationship with each other as performers evolved as well. So yeah, that was all really, really fun. How about you? Was there a particular era that, uh, that, that caught your fancy? Well, it was funny. You mentioned the 2002. I I keep going back to, and you mentioned the Brock thing, but I I think I think about the other two and that I remember the match against Jeff Hardy. Um, that was just, it's one of those, like, again, it's one of those that kind of just always sticks out to you during that era, uh, when they, they had the ladder match with Jeff Hardy and, uh, it was such a, a different type of match that they had for, for the undisputed title. And then I think about the Royal Rumble with, uh, with Maven and one of the most unlikely, uh, scenarios ever. And I think a lot of people at that time thought, man, this is certainly, they're doing something here with Maven. Like Maven could be this next guy. And look, I loved, I thought Maven was great on tough enough and uh, all that, but Boy, to have him eliminate the Undertaker. But I, I guess the point is, though, it's one of those that you remember, and obviously it didn't really lead to a whole lot other than the Undertaker just destroying Maven eventually. But um, it's just it's a moment you don't forget. And uh, whether you you know think about Maven's career overall or anything like that, uh, it's certainly a, a moment that you will never forget because I don't think anyone ever had uh, or thought that we were going to see uh, someone like Maven uh, eliminate the Undertaker in the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, and speaking of uh, speaking of that ladder match between Jeff Hardy and Taker, 
uh, I was I was going back because because one of the one of the moments the moments for 2008 that we picked uh, ended up being Taker's feud with Edge. Yeah. I went back and I was watching Taker and Edge's uh, TLC match because uh, we're currently working on on another video counting down some of the greatest TLC moments, and you guys will be able to uh, see that in December right around TLC weekend. But uh, but yeah, I was going back and watching Taker versus Edge. At uh, I believe I think it was One Night Stand 2008 or Extreme Rules. I don't remember if they switched over the name just yet. And uh, gosh, Taker is so versatile as a as a performer because that is just that is is, is one of the best TLC matches. I don't think it gets brought up very often, but it was in the midst of a, a of a wonderful storyline between Taker and Edge. We had Vicky Guerrero in there. We had uh, the Edge heads and the Big Show showing up every now and then, and then and then Taker trying to overcome just like these these massive numbers going against him and, and gosh, what a performance, what a, what a match. You, you don't expect a big man like Taker to be able to take uh, the, the bumps and moves and, and those types of matches, but he always came through. Yeah, he did. And that, that feud he had with edge, I think over the years was one that was kind of, I don't know, sort of forgotten. I think in some of those underrated opponents he had, which uh, on the previous episode of the podcast we talked about uh, with Andrew Thompson, we talked about top five Undertaker opponents, and he was one that I didn't put on there, but I had a hard time leaving off because I think him and Edge had a a pretty underrated feud uh, overall. The WrestleMania match was great, but uh, yeah, those two had great chemistry. But so the Undertaker had great chemistry with everyone, as we saw for for the most part. Um, just so many great moments, and as we said, uh, be sure to check out the video uh, that Andy put together, and we'll have a link to it and so. Uh, in the show notes and uh, it's already up on our youtube channel there at the 411 uh, mania youtube channel you can find that just by searching for it we'll have the link to it as well in the show notes if you want to reflect on uh, some of the best moments there for the dead man but uh, we teased it earlier let's get to winter because uh, winter is coming and uh, aw dynamite uh, probably set to have the most noteworthy uh, main event match uh, probably in the history of dynamite thus far and there have been a lot of big ones uh, but John Moxley defending the AEW World Title against Kenny Omega on Wednesday night's edition of Dynamite. And uh, Andy, I guess before we get into the actual match, the build itself—what um, have you thought overall of the build? I think um, you know, for the most part, uh, we knew when they announced this uh, several weeks ago that it was going to take place uh, on Dynamite. Um, you know, they announced it after Full Gear, and we kind of had the realization that, man, we're about to get this match here pretty soon. We're not waiting until Revolution, uh, anything like that, because that's a, still several months down the road. Uh, what do you think just, just of the build overall? And I'm sure uh, that will lead to us uh, giving our theories on uh, who indeed attacked Mr. John Moxley. Well, the, the base of this feud, I mean, it's been embedded within AEW for for months now. I mean, since since Moxley and Omega's first encounter. Yeah. And uh and and we've we've had that question in the back of our mind. Uh yeah, this was a brutal, brutal match that they had. I, I believe it was uh last it was last year's full gear that they yeah. that they came one on one, right? Uh yeah, they they had this monster of a match. It was brutal. But it wasn't uh, a pure wrestling match, and of course, John Moxley would end up uh, coming out on top. But we still had that in the back of our mind: what would happen if these two uh, came into the ring again under Kenny Omega's terms? And in the story leading up to uh, to the spout this upcoming Wednesday on Dynamite, uh, they've really reinforced those parts of the story, especially with Kenny Omega's promos, uh, constantly reminding us, yeah, that. Uh, that lights out match that we had, uh, it, it 
it, it's off the books. It wasn't quote unquote real wrestling. Uh, and John Moxley, if you come in the ring against me and, and we stay in between these four corners, we stay in between these ropes, you don't have a chance. And it's really been interesting to see, uh, to see Kenny Omega's character build and turn throughout this feud, because, uh, I, I'd argue that, that even though, yeah, he was cocky, he was arrogant. He, he was very much of a, of a tweener even coming out of that, uh, match with hangman page, but he's. He's really started to go all the way, especially with uh, with the promo that he gave on this past week's edition of Dynamite, uh, <laughs> uh, with with that amazing <laughs> yes. insult against uh, against John Moxley's <laughs> father. Uh, but 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 yeah, it, it, and then and then of course taking it into into the next gear with John Moxley coming out and attacking Kenny Omega during his entrance during the uh, contract signing part two. Uh, of course he he. He has suspicions that Kenny Omega is the one that attacked him. That remains to be seen. But nonetheless, the feud has been taken up to the next gear. And uh, and I am all in when it comes to this build. I am more than hyped for Wednesday night. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, as you said, this has been building uh, for, for a bit now. And we know kind of the, the backstory here and sort of that ultimate quest uh, for Kenny Omega to get back on top and sort of prove himself, as he said, in that, that promo we had last week. Or, you know, that book, he's he's here to prove that, that he's back with the best of the best. And um, that obviously leads into this match. But I'm very curious about this whole, you know, attacker storyline. And, and obviously, I think you do it knowing that there's probably a good chance that it's going to pay off uh, on during this match or after this match, uh, because I feel like you don't plant that unless you sort of have an idea of where that's headed. And I don't think just, you know, having Moxley come out, I feel like that's one of those uh, sort of things where, you know, the person who gets attacked is basically thinking, okay, well, I, I went and said this, Eddie Kingston, he's not the guy. I could look in his eyes and tell you it wasn't him. And so I'm just going to assume that it was Omega. Uh, but yet you don't get that clarity. You don't get that for sure, uh, you know, feeling one way or the other. And I feel like that's where we're headed here in terms of whoever it was. Um, I just get a sense that we're going to know during this match or after this match. Um, and Andy, I will ask you because one of the theories that has been running wild um, on our favorite social media platform of choice, uh, Twitter, um, is that this could very well be sort of this turning point, this spark um the beginning of a new era if you will and that a lot of people think that this could potentially be something involving kenta which would obviously lead to what we talked about um several weeks ago on dissecting dynamite in terms of you know is there the potential that moxley loses his title um and then goes to japan to you know defend the the u.s title there uh at wrestle kingdom in january I think a lot of people are looking at this wondering if this is maybe this whole everything's been built for this. So like this Game of Thrones style, um, you know, you've got this invading something. And what if the invading is Kenta in terms of coming in, saying he's already going to come for Moxley? He said it before. And maybe this is the spot where he comes in, costs Moxley the title. If he doesn't cost him the title, um, he shows up, something like that. Do you what, let me just say this percentage wise. Let's say you have to pick a percent chance that this could potentially happen uh what would you put that at right now because i think it's a it's an interesting question because i can see why some people may think this is a possibility uh kenta lives in orlando he's back in orlando now uh, a lot of ways it would work but uh what, what do you think are the chances of this actually happening 
See, that's a, that's a tough one. But here, <laughs> here, let's look at the breadcrumbs that have been laid out in front of us. Because Kinta, he's not my guy. He's not the prediction that I've said on Dissecting Dynamite, even though I have read that online. But here, uh, if we're looking at it from, from the perspective of somebody that does think Kinta's coming in, let's look at the breadcrumbs. Uh, it, it's It's been reported that Tony Khan has big plans for winter. And that this show, this upcoming win, uh, this upcoming Wednesday at Dynamite, is set to kick off those plans. That's number one. Number two, of course, we have uh, Kenta calling out John Moxley. He wants that U.S. He wants that U.S. title, uh, and, and that's glaringly obvious. So that's number two. Number three, uh, New Japan. It's under new management. Uh, we're we're looking at it and and where those barriers were up before. Uh, with New Japan possibly working with AEW one-on-one, maybe those barriers have been broken down. And, and that leads to a lot of speculation and a lot of excitement. If I'm going to give a percentage to it, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to take a rule out of WWE's booking, booking book. I'm going to say uh, about 50-50. <laughs> See, that's exactly what I wanted because uh, you bring up a good point there. And, and I just listened to the uh, – it's funny. I was just listening earlier to the uh, Kenny Omega interview that he did uh, with Dave Meltzer and, and Brian Alvarez on the Wrestling Observer Radio. And, you know, Omega was mentioning – and I don't want to say he flat out just – it almost sounded like one of – well, let me say this. I think it was one of those things you could convince yourself into if you were listening to it. Like if it's already in the back of your mind that, oh, my gosh, this could possibly happen. If you listen to this interview, by the end of it, like me, I'm like, oh, this is definitely happening. Because throughout the entire interview, basically what <laughs> what he's saying when he's asked about these potential you know, working relationship with New Japan or anyone else for that matter. Um, you know, it's, it's the similar to what Cody said about the bridges are down, but Kenny Omega really went into the actual specifics here in terms of saying, Hey, you know, he understands what the power structure was in New Japan before, you know, the switch in terms of Harold May being out and now there's new management. Um, and now, you know, what the possibilities are with that. And I think he even said, Hey, you know, this is something where I feel like that the wrestlers there are certainly open to it. And I feel like maybe there's a chance that they are being a little more open-minded now to this possibly being something we could do. Um, and so I tell you, it's it's something that, again, we, which you and I, we've had our fun before uh, with uh, what happens when Twitter, Twitter runs wild with, with Sting and uh, all this other stuff. But um, at the same time, I can understand with this one because logically you could connect a lot of these dots uh, because even Kent has been the one who's been playing this up on Twitter. And I think sometimes when you see that happen, it's like, well, it's definitely not happening um, if you see someone playing this up so much and sort of out in the open like he has. But I do think that this is something that sooner rather than later we are going to see in terms of uh, AEW working with New Japan. Again, I don't know when that is. And, and hey, look, maybe we're, as we're saying this, maybe we're actually you know going to see this happen within the next week. But I do feel like as much as it's been talked about, as many times as it's been brought up, and really, in some cases, it's not even that these guys are being asked these questions. In a lot of cases it is, but sometimes you're just hearing some of these guys bring it up in these interviews, um, you know, kind of unprovoked. And so that makes me think, you know, the wheels are turning. And I think if you're AEW, you know, what's the benefit of working with new Japan? Some people may say, you know, I don't know exactly what the extent would be for working with a new Japan versus, you know, if you're working with impact or NWA or some of these others, but 
obviously it's very significant because, I mean, there is a crossover audience there with AEW and New Japan. Maybe not a huge one, but a lot of these people who watch New Japan know a lot of these guys from AEW because they were there. And I don't know, man, it's, it's interesting to think about the possibilities, that's for sure. See, and the thing is, Kenta also has uh, has that experience on American television, too. So if you're picking somebody to come in and make that first introduction, uh, New Japan into AEW television, uh, I, arguably you can't pick someone better. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I guess we'll see. We will see what happens with it, but uh, that is one theory uh, that people have. But as you said, uh, you have talked about this on Dissecting Dynamite. You have another theory behind uh, who the person was that uh, actually attacked uh, John Moxley there. Oh, yes. Uh, it, it, it may be controversial. I'm sorry, but I am Team Hangman. I, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I, want, I want Hangman to be the one revealed to, uh, to have been John Moxley's attacker. I just think it would add some, uh, some fun layering to the story that, that has already been established between uh, not only Moxley and Omega, but Omega and Hangman himself. Uh, and, and if you look at it from a storytelling perspective there, uh, he, he's in a dark, dark place as, uh, as shown with his interactions with, uh, with the dark, dark order. Um, but, but he's here and, and he's just suffered another major, major loss. And, uh, and he sees his former tag team partner, Kenny Omega about to grab that belt about to get there. You know what? Number one, you can, uh, you can possibly, you can possibly set that match up for disaster, make it so that match doesn't even occur. Or number two, you can ensure that uh, that Kenny's the one that walks away with the title, and uh, and then set yourself up for a for a match down the line with Omega, which is the payoff that I think everybody wants to see. So uh, so that's that's where I'm coming at it from. Whether or not it happens, neither of us know, and that's why you'll have to watch dissecting dynamite this upcoming wednesday with uh with guest host blake level look at that mick foley could not have done it any better in terms of uh the cheap plug there uh we had to make sure well, we get that in but yes uh, i will be joining you to discuss everything that happens uh on the winter is coming edition of AEW dynamite but uh that is an interesting theory and i think the fact that they've added in this dark order thing has added sort of a new wrinkle to this that, I don't know, I just think it makes it more intriguing, not because I think that, you know, Hangman's going to ultimately join the Dark Order. If he did, I mean, obviously I'd be all for it because uh, that would mean my guy John Silver would probably get even more airtime, uh, which he already is. I mean, he's he's on, he's a rocket. Like, this guy, is the, the rocket has been strapped to him, and he is on the way up. But maybe John Silver attacked John Moxley. I don't know. Um, I could see it, you know, potentially, but uh, we'll see. Um, all right, let's let's talk about just the match itself. Um, Omega, Moxley, the outcome here, as we said, we've talked about some of the theories behind uh, who could have attacked Moxley in the buildup to this. But as for the match itself, uh, something else Kenny Omega talked about in that interview uh, with Wrestling Observer Radio was, you know, saying, hey, man, you know, I don't know exactly how much time we're going to get. I don't know kind of what the breakdown is going to look like. For me, I'm always one that says, boy any championship match you have hopefully it's one that you can find a way to work in without doing the picture in picture without a break this match feels so big to the point to where 
I think I'd be a little disappointed if there was just a, you know, a hard commercial break or even the picture in picture with this. I don't think you can do that. I feel like you just got to go all out here. And again, I don't know how long this match is going to be, uh, but I do think just the logistics behind it uh, are going to be very interesting. And we'll talk maybe a little bit about that uh, before we get into picking our actual winner. Yeah, I, the, the logistics are interesting because you look at it and do do we want to have do we do we want to have a final winner here? Do we want to have a see? It, it's just very difficult to see because on one hand you could have a sixty-minute draw, or or you could have a dusty finish, or you. It, it, it's just so difficult to predict, especially with uh with such versatile performers as John Moxley and Kenny Omega. I just I don't know. Like like I think it's one, and and maybe that's what we're saying. Like when we talk about the build to this. Maybe it's a good thing because, like, I don't know which way they go here. Like, I mean, a lot of people are leaning towards this being something where, look, we think Omega maybe is going to win this title here. And I think a lot of people think that um, just based on the bill, just based on the whole setup entering this thing. Because, like you said, what if it's a situation where, you know, Paige is the one that attacks Moxley, Paige wants the title. And as you and I have talked about before, we eventually work our way towards, you know, hangman versus omega and we feel like maybe that's the next big match after moxley uh, and omega but i feel like that's where they go at some point i don't know how quickly they get there but um then again it's like well what if moxley retains like what is the scenario that plays out if moxley retains the title and that's what i haven't really thought a whole lot about uh in that if he retains the title and beats kenny omega then what? Like, where do you go from there? And I think that's that's very fascinating, but I do feel like overall the most fascinating scenario here is that Omega wins, and then even if Hangman's not the next guy, I think that opens up so many more possibilities because you're switching, you know, from having the face as champion taking on a, a row of heels versus heel as champion taking on a row of faces like it just you're you're flipping the dynamic in terms of who's involved in the world title picture so i will say that like i think the scenarios surrounding moxley retaining are maybe not as intriguing at this point just probably based on time and because he's had the title for so long at this point well with moxley retaining it would undoubtedly lead to just an an extension of of the feud that we have right now between omega and moxley i feel like uh it's a fore, foregone conclusion that eventually kenny omega is going to end this feud on top with the AEW title on his hands if he doesn't i feel a lot of fans may be disappointed in in the outcome but if uh if moxley does retain uh on this winter is coming edition of dynamite then uh then it really i feel like it just lights more of a fire underneath omega because his story leading into this whole situation is i need to prove once more that i am the best in the world i see moxley's face on these billboards my face should be up there <laughs> i see uh moxley regarded as the best in the world by this uh by the pwi pwi 500 i want to regain that position uh so so it really just lights more of a fire underneath him and where he has been very uh very cocky, very arrogant. Uh, Moxley's looking to, uh, to to slap that demeanor right out of Kenny Omega, and uh, and and if Moxley is successful this upcoming Wednesday, I I feel that may be what he does. But 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 like you said, with Kenny Omega's character, uh, that may not be the most interesting route to go because the 
the big difference in painting Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page and their long-term feud at this point is that Hangman Page has such a lack of confidence within himself as a performer that can uh, that can get in there when when the big title is on the line, when the, when the big moment happens. Whereas Kenny Omega, he is that guy. He is the person that can get in there when all the pressure is on and he can perform to uh, to best in the world standards. And if you give Kenny Omega a loss on this Wednesday, I don't know if he can if he can if he can retain that same level of confidence that would keep his his feud and that dichotomy between he and Hangman as interesting as it is right now. Yeah, I don't think there's any scenario where you feel like that Moxie can beat Omega clean with a pinfall that's going to do anything positive. I just think that's, and I don't, again, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but like I feel like that limits your options on what you can do moving forward. So I don't see that being the case. Uh, because I just don't know where you would go from there um, unless it's just Omega turning this character up a thousand times to a level that we've never seen before. Um, but I just I think the the way to go is either just to have Omega win this match um, and then just sort of, you know, start afresh here with something new. And, and look, we're we're saying this. So this whole winter is coming thing like this is there for a reason. I keep going back to this. Like, I feel like this is. Otherwise, you could just hype this as a normal episode of Dynamite. Like you said earlier, Andy, I mean, this is something Tony Khan has said. Like, this is sort of a new starting point. So because you're saying that and because you've hyped it up as much um, with this big theatrical presentation here and this huge tagline that you're trying to use Game of Thrones style, like, this is something that you feel like has there has to be a big payoff here. And we kind of laughed at Tony Khan you know, making these jokes about, you know, we're doing all these surprises and everything. And people are saying, well, please don't hype all this stuff because it's just going to let everybody down. Uh, but I don't know, like this feels like, again, whether it's the Kenta thing, whether it's something else, it feels like something big is happening here. And, and if that's as simple as a Kenny Omega winning the title, that's fine. Uh, if it's something bigger, even better. Uh, but uh, it does. It feels like the, the stakes are very high here. And I think just using this tagline and, and setting it up the way they have, uh, I feel like that almost guarantees that like something huge is going to happen in this match. See, that's the thing, and hopefully that something huge doesn't end up being Shaquille O'Neal. But, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. A a company with a multi million dollar television deal doesn't just go off and change their entire branding for a random episode of Dynamite. You look you look across AEW's Twitter right now. You look across the uh, the media that AEW is putting out. And uh, a, a whole new look for the branding for this episode of Dynamite. That 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 blue frozen over look. It looks so cool, so slick. But uh, but still, it's uh, it, it it's hyping up something big, and I'm excited to see what they have in store. Yep, and you have to deliver. Um, and learn learn from WCW. You have to deliver. Uh, because uh, if you're gonna put out all this, if you're gonna hype it up this way, uh, you gotta deliver with something special. And uh, I think AEW is at least uh, pointing in that direction. I think that they have something up their sleeve here, and we will see uh, if we are correct uh, when we get to the Winter is Coming edition of AEW Dynamite there on Wednesday night. But uh, we'll talk more about that on Dissecting Dynamite, as Andy hyped uh, there a little bit ago. Uh, we'll put the link to that where you can check it out uh, each and every Wednesday after Dynamite. And, of course, uh, come listen to us talk about it uh, on Wednesday night after the special edition of Dynamite. But before we wrap up, Andy, we teased it earlier, uh, you are working on something else video-related, and uh, we have not announced this yet, but uh, it is something that 
uh, I was, you know, had the privilege to, to be able to take part in. And I will tell you, it's uh, one of the coolest things I think about just sort of uh, wrestling out there and wrestling media and, and the different ideas that people work with and uh, the different concepts. But this this thing you put together, uh, this sort of uh, mini documentary here, uh, this thing I think is going to be special. And so uh, you can go ahead and make the big announcement on what it is and uh, what people can expect from it here pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I've been working very, very hard on it, and and four one one has been very, very uh, gracious, and and not only and not only their their time, but the resources that they've uh, that they they've allowed me to use. Uh, it's it's a mini documentary series called Squared Circle Spotlights, and we're going to be breaking down some of uh some of the most interesting moments in wrestling history. Uh, that maybe haven't gotten the coverage that they deserve. And the very first episode is going to be a mini doc about uh, Kurt Angle and his departure from WWE back in 2006 and, uh, and appearing in TNA soon after. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of wonderful people involved. Uh, I was able to talk to uh, Dave Meltzer, Brian Zane over at uh, Wrestling with Regret. I was able to talk with uh, Ross Tweedle over at uh, Cultaholic. Uh, Chris Van Vliet, uh, like you said, yourself, as well as uh, a variety of other wonderful writers here at 411 Mania. And uh, and I've put together what I think is a, is a wonderful representation of what a lot of wrestling fans were were feeling at that moment, because that's a that, that that's that's what we really want to do. Not only are we are we giving an explanation, an exp- explanation on this time period, we want to make sure that we uh, that we really look into reactions around that time and and really get to the emotional core of the moment and and we're doing so in this in this wonderful mini documentary feature and it's uh yeah it, it, it's it's turning out great yeah and you mentioned you know starting off with the kurt angle one um you know that's that's an interesting period in wrestling history and like you said there's a reason you're doing the series because it's kind of one that doesn't necessarily get talked a lot about now but uh, back then like it was a huge deal to see someone like Kurt Angle uh, going from WWE to TNA at the time uh, because this was a guy I mean as we said and, and people talked about this so much I feel like I've heard this you know you've heard it over the years but I feel like really in listening to a lot of interviews uh, over the past maybe I don't know six months or so uh, that kind of go back and look back at the year 2000 and wrestling Kurt Angle legitimately like he had one of the best years ever for anyone um, back in 2000 I think to see the rise that he had um, then and then to become sort of the, the the major player that he became in the WWE just from that and then turning that into much more after that year 2000 um, man he's just what a what a decorated kind of star at that point to go to TNA and you know I think Andy it was at that time where a lot of people were like anytime anyone made the jump or someone left WWE and went to TNA everyone thought this is the turning point like this is where TNA everyone's just waiting and waiting and waiting for TNA to eventually overtake WWE of course we saw that that just has never happened but at the same time like this was significant and obviously as we know um it was for a reason for for Kurt Angle because there were a lot of things going on behind the scenes a lot of things going on uh, in his personal life that sort of led uh, to this jump for him from WWE to TNA most definitely and for and for a lot of people it was uh one of the first incidents that opened opened them up to wrestling outside of the WWE uh Kurt Angle was one of the flagship superstars at WWE in the time and in bringing a whole level of exposure to TNA when he joins. I mean, before there, I, I mean, I'm not discounting or discrediting, uh, the, the 
Dudley Boys or Christian Cage or or Rhino or a variety of stars that uh that crossed over beforehand. But when you see a name like a uh, like Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle uh, crossing over to TNA, that 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 causes some ripples within the industry. But uh, but yeah, we're really digging into the reasonings behind uh behind him behind his departure, uh the the issues that he had personally, whether it be uh drug abuse the painkillers and, and everything there but also the relationships that he that he had built with wwe and that unfortunately uh crumbled at that time but yeah uh it's 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 going to be a very thorough piece and it'll be coming out uh very shortly here so make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled for that not only will that be featured on uh on 411 but uh but it looks like it's going to be featured in uh on wrestling sites across uh that 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 cover the industry everywhere. So so it's it's a very very exciting time uh, here for the 411 Mania YouTube channel. So make sure that you guys subscribe. Yep, check all that out. And uh, as Andy said, we'll talk more about that uh, on the podcast here. And uh, of course, we'll mention it uh, once it's released. Uh, we'll put it up here uh, on the podcast, links to it, and all that good stuff, uh, and let everybody know where they can find it. But uh, as you said, Andy, you got a lot going on uh, over on the uh, 411 YouTube channel with Dissecting Dynamite. Of course, we just talked about uh, the series you're doing there, the Undertaker moments. Um, go ahead. I know you've already, we've already pretty much plugged everything, haven't we? Really done our, our full Mick Foley here uh, in this. Uh, conversation we've had for about 40 minutes but uh, anything else uh, you want to plug and you can let everybody know where they can find uh, all your stuff there uh, on Twitter as well yeah you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram I'm, I'm brand new to Twitter just uh, just joined at the end of October so so I'm looking to uh, to flex my muscles in the game so you can follow <laughs> me over at uh, at Andy underscore P underscore underscore Perez once again Andy underscore P underscore Perez uh, I, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yep, check that out. We'll put the link to it uh, in the show notes there along with everything else. But uh, Andy, uh, always uh, an enjoyable conversation. And uh, as you said earlier, get your jacket, get your scarf, uh, get everything you need uh, for the invasion because uh, winter is coming and uh, it just may bring along uh, Kenta with it. But we'll see. Uh, so we'll talk uh, on Wednesday night's uh, edition of Dissecting Dynamite. Thanks, as always, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Thanks again to Andy Perez uh, for joining us here on the podcast. And as mentioned, be sure to check out all the great stuff uh, that Andy has been working on over at the 411 YouTube channel. We'll have the link to everything uh, in the show notes. And, and as we talked about, uh, we will uh, soon be talking about this uh, Kurt Angle mini documentary uh, that will be coming out and uh, give you some more information on that, which, of course, you can find at 411mania.com. You'll be able to find uh, all the specifics on that and for any other videos uh, that we put up there on the 411 YouTube channel. But for everything else, uh, you can check out 411mania.com for all of our coverage uh, from wrestling promotions uh, across the world as well as our, as well as our live coverage of uh, the weekly top shows and we're talking about raw uh, smackdown aw dynamite impact wrestling all those you can find all that at 411 mania and uh, all the great columns and everything else that we have going on over there check it out at 411mania.com and as i continue to mention we will have the link to the gofundme uh, for larry zonka's family in the show notes of this episode so uh, continue to share that if you can and uh, for everything else uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast any podcast app you use uh, you can find the 411 on Wrestling Podcast there. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at uh, WrestleBlake. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.